Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning. Good morning. Everybody doing okay? All right. Uh, I was not supposed to be up here this morning, but if we have learned anything over the last couple of years, it has been that flexibility is a key to life. Uh, we were going to have our marriage retreat this weekend, and my friend Chris and his wife Becky got snowed in. Sorry, they got iced in in Memphis. Uh, which Memphis apparently does not receive that stuff very often, or that's what they told me. Um, and uh, uh, but be in prayer. Memphis, uh, uh, lots of uh, community. They they had more ice. The roads actually were okay, but they had lots of uh, down tree limbs. Over 100,000 people without power. And, and I know that moved into Texas. And it was funny earlier when we sang about the storehouses laden with snow. I was like, I bet they're probably like refilling those right now because those got emptied out pretty well uh, over the last week, uh, and then the East Coast got double dose, and I don't know if any of you care about any of that. Kids, if you would like to get out of here, and you're like, oh, thank you, uh, we do have Elevate this morning, uh, right out this way, that is for kindergarten, first grade, and no, just first and second grade. If you, you should know. Kids, you should know where you're going. Um, so if you, if you would like to go where you know you should be going right now, then go ahead. All right, everybody else is in here. Uh, so what I decided to do um, Friday uh, was we're going to go back to 1 John. We were going to start back in 1 John uh, to finish that up, just to give you a little heads up of where we're at. So we're going to take <clears throat> the rest of February, and we're going to finish up 1 John. We started it before, uh, before Advent. Uh, and we have been going through First John. We've got a couple of chapters to finish. Uh, so we're going to do that through the end of February. And then starting in February, we are going to, uh, we're going to move into the thing that we have been saying every week, reciting as a church for the last two years, uh, the Apostles' Creed. And we're going to take time uh, this, uh, starting in March, to walk through the Apostles' Creed. And what are we confessing uh, when we say, I believe? What does that mean? I believe. Now, if you're here and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're not, we need the scripture, not creed. I have great news for you. Guess what the creed is based on? Scripture. Amen. We'll explain that. Actually, Joel will explain that. And he will do it in such a powerful way that you will never ask that question again. All right, are we okay? All right. I hope so. Uh, so let me read for you this morning. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 3, crossing over into 1 John chapter 4. We've got a sizable chunk uh, that I hope to cover, uh, and, and we'll get into it. So let's read uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 16. A phenomenal verse, but we'll go all the way through chapter 4, verse 6. You can follow along on the screen behind me, uh, and then we'll break this down into two sections as we go through it. Starting in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love. Now, he's going to say this twice, by this. This time he's explaining it after he says by this, and then we'll refer back to it when he says by this next time. Hopefully that makes sense when we read. By this we know love, that he, that Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not live in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Praise him and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, 
and what class? Love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Let's move to verse chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, I love John's pastoral heart here. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And our new statement, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. Um, so, this passage, there's a lot and, and yet not a lot in here. There's a lot to unpack, and yet it, it is similar to things uh, we have talked about before. Um, and so, uh, getting back into 1 John, let me, let me give just a couple of minutes of what the book of 1 John is about. He's writing to this church in Ephesus. As Paul leaves the elders in Ephesus some 30 to 40 years earlier, Paul sees false teaching at work in and among the church, which is going to plague the new church, the, the, this, these new followers of Jesus, all over the place. And John sees, uh, Paul even sees this happening early on uh, in the book of Ephesus. And so he says, keep watch over your hearts, even some among you. This is in, in Acts uh, that he sees this. Uh, and, and he says, even some among you are going to turn away. Uh, and so John is writing... Uh, in the 90s, not, to, not 1990s, but in the actual just 90s, uh, he is writing to this church down the road here in Ephesus. Second generation is coming up. False teachers are still at work, and they're at play from both sides. Legalism and licentiousness, right? So we can identify. And uh, they are at work trying to uh, pull people to their side away from trusting Jesus. And let me just give you a lens to see Really, everything that takes shape in, in the Hebrew Scriptures as well as what is moving into uh, the New Testament Scriptures. We, we have been, you may have been taught, I was taught early on that to trust Jesus means you go to heaven when you die. That's it. And hopefully that's a while from now. And so in between there, I'm just trying to get more passengers on the train right? I'm going to tell you something. That is incomplete. It's not necessarily not true, but that is incomplete. To be saved by Jesus is to be caught up into his kingdom and then to live as new kingdom citizens right now, one day to fully appreciate all of this new kingdom that will come. In, throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, what you see is God redeeming His people, putting them right in the middle of all of the traffic of history to bear His image, to be the people of God. And if you've ever read through the Old Testament, you will see that there's times when they do really good at that, and then there's times when they really don't. I was talking to my rabbi friend. I'm totally off script here. I was talking to my rabbi friend um, one time, and we're gonna be, we just have to put up with that today. Sorry. Um, but it's this snowy out. You don't have anything to do. Um, uh, rabbi friend. And uh, I was talking about listening to this. Thank you. I was talking about listening to uh, this book uh, called Dominion, which I've referenced before. Tom Holland, not Spider-Man, the other Tom Holland, uh, uh, who's a historian and wrote about the history of the church and the history of Christianity and all that stuff. It's fascinating. But I was talking to her about... Um, when you look through the history of the church, in the times when the church has had power, things have not gone well. 
And she's like, yeah, I, I can identify with that. We, we have that story in common. And then, I, you know, because I have to jab every time, I, I said, yeah, it, it's almost like it's one continuous story. We have, this, we have this account. When the people of God have earthly power, it usually doesn't go well for us bearing the image of God because we get talked into an earthly kingdom and we start defending and upholding an earthly kingdom. John wants these truths to be, because the false teachers of the day were trying to pull people into earthly kingdoms. And you see it over and over again. If you have the world's goods, be careful, don't, not, don't fall in love with the world's goods. Be careful, don't fall in love with earthly kingdoms. Fall in love with God's kingdom. And so if you want a lens to view this through, and men, this is what we're going to be looking at in, in the Bible study coming Tuesday night. Uh, the kingdom of God gives us a way to view the world around us and see God's kingdom breaking in, in and through us, and the call not just to trust Jesus so we go to heaven when we die, but that Jesus has rescued us from a kingdom of darkness into the domain of his beloved son, the kingdom of light. And then we are to live as new citizens in this kingdom of light, to continue to bear the image of God to the world around us. One day, then, to dwell with him eternally in this new and everlasting kingdom. So it does get there, but, but there's some stuff packed into the middle. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Um, and so John, I have no idea where I'm at in my notes here. Um, John writes this pastoral letter, and he's going to describe God in two ways. He, he is talking about our affections to continue to love Jesus, and he describes God is light, and we saw that right off the bat, that Jesus has come. He is the incarnation. He is uh, the completion of this project of the Hebrew Scriptures, that, God has, that Jesus has come and made all of this, like brought it here and now. So now it goes from the Jews to the Gentiles, and it is now for all people to live this out, this invitation uh, to this kingdom. Uh, and so he says God is light. If you think about light, light is exposing. Light is guidance. Light takes away fear. Light also reveals what is hidden. So there's a lot there in light. And he is all of that. But then he also says, we're going to get to this uh, next week, God is love. And so the light that exposes is not necessarily condemning. It actually could be freeing. If it exposes you to the point where you go, I am a sinner, woe is me. Jesus says, I have great news. I'm not rejecting you. I know this already, and you are loved. And that comes into play here huge. So God is light, and God is love. Love is not indifferent to the way we are. Love doesn't say, ah, you're sinful. You know what? We all are. It's fine. Love says, you're sinful, and I will not stop loving you. And so let's begin this project together, and I'm going to be your biggest cheerleader as you are conformed into the image of my son. So let's go. You're going to bear my image in your successes, and you're going to bear, bear my image in your failures and, my, and your need for grace. So John wants for both of these to, to really stay, uh, sink in. In fact, he says, this is what makes my joy complete, is as this truth begins to marinate in you and among you, and you begin to take hold of this. So let's read this first passage. Wow, it's a lot smaller. Um, okay. I'm going to go back quickly through John 3, 16 through 24. This is what John writes. He says, By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we have kept his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of, the, of, of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. 
Whoever keeps his commandments and abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, the spirit whom he has given us. Um, All right, so here again, here's good news. I've already covered some of this. Uh, John is trying to reassure uh, this New Testament church from the false teachers. Um, And there were two false teachings that were that were prominent. One uh, was coming more from the Jewish side that said, uh, there, you have to, if you're really going to be a true uh, person of God, really walk in this kingdom, then Jesus is important but is not enough. And they, more often than not, added on to that the weight of circumcision. Now, it was not a sin to be circumcised. However, when it was made necessary for salvation, as if this is going to be an upper-tier te- uh, upper thing, that's when it became a barrier and it became a law and you have to follow the law in order to truly be a child of God. The other side was from the Gentile side, which had much more uh, spiritualism, it had more pagan experiences, and Jesus was good. This is what's troubling, okay? Jesus was involved in all these. This is why it's important we get to the test every spirit. They used Jesus' language, but they separated it from a sense of morality. It was kind of, that's not, that's secondary, the morality piece. But these experiences, having these spiritual encounters, having these radical different experiences, that is what deep spirituality is all about. And so they were pull, pulling from both sides here. Uh, and, and people who were following Jesus, um, when you, when you would teach this is the way, you would actually then pit them against other people. And so in addition to not only being pulled one way or another, it was also being pulled toward, but this is the right way and you guys are all wrong. And so unity in the church was almost impossible. Thankfully, thankfully, we don't have that problem anymore. Okay. That was sarcasm if anybody didn't pick up on it. Um, And so what John is trying to tell them, in Christ, you are loved by God. Not only that Jesus is the way to salvation, but also Jesus laying down his life for them. It is the means by which they are saved, but it is also the guidance for which, uh, the guidance on how to live that out. Does that make sense? So you don't do these things so you can be saved. If Christ has laid down his life for you, then this is what it looks like to live that out. And I'll get to that in, in, in just a second. Um, all right, we'll go ahead and get there. Uh, Jeremy Jacobs shared a couple weeks ago um, about the parable that Jesus tells, I think it's in Matthew 18, of the, of the rich, the, the, the guy who was in debt and begs the king, millions of dollars in debt, and he begs the king, I don't have it. And what does the king do? The king forgives his debt. Amazing and miraculous. And then what the guy does is he immediately goes from there and finds people that owe him money and has them beaten and thrown in jail if they can't pay him back. Now, we might be tempted to think, how dare he? How dare he? Um, two ways, I think, that, our, that the human heart can, can receive this idea, this concept of forgiveness and grace. One is uh, shame. I'm not enough. I still have to do more. I know you said you forgive me, but I'm going to pay this back. Trust me, trust me, trust me. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to earn this. Um, the second way is pride. Yeah, I know. Of course I'm worthy of forgiveness. You people have to do more. You have to achieve what I have. All right? So shame, this is where this kingdom, this is where this guy comes in. This is exactly how shame works. 
Have you ever, have you ever been in a position where you've had to be forgiven of something that was really, really shameful? Yeah. Um, a massive debt, uh, a huge mistake, um, something that you did that you know was wrong, and then you receive forgiveness, and you go, yeah, but, and the shame is overwhelming. I shouldn't have ever been in that position. I can't believe I did that. Now I have to, I, and, and all of that just piles on you. Right? And so what do we do? We go, we go on the internet and post about people who've done worse than us. Right? We have to find a way to, for that shame to get out. Somebody has to pay. We don't actually receive the grace and forgiveness that's offered to us. It just compounds in us more shame and more guilt. This is the way shame works. We feel the compulsion that we have to pay it off. But I I still should be better. I should do this. I should have been this. I should not be in that position. I should, I should, I should. As one psychologist said, we tend to should all over ourselves. And in our shame, we're likely to to then take this out on other people. When we can't receive forgiveness, when we can't receive it, you better believe that other people aren't going to get off that easy. The other way, the other side of not receiving grace and forgiveness is pride, where we kind of presume our forgiveness. We'll confess of various sins, minor things here and there, but by and large, we have followed the general rules of the law. We're circumcised. We're, we're, we don't often pull that one in our day, but, uh, but those types of things. I'm a, basically, I'm a good person. I contribute to society. I don't, I don't do all of these bad things that are getting people in trouble. I may exceed the speed limit every once in a while, but come on, who doesn't do that? And we find ways to justify ourselves, and then it's other people that have to climb the ladder to earn their forgiveness and their grace. We have received the status of forgiven with, without that much costly sacrifice. But that generous sacrificial love is not doled out to the masses and the hurting and the broken. It is for those who have been able to earn it. And unfortunately, that makes it almost impossible for us to see the hurts and wounds because we only apply it to our lives. It can make it impossible for us to see the hurts and wounds in other people's lives and the ways that it gets, it gets carried out in them. The false teaching in John's day both appeal to ways of misinterpreting the grace of Jesus as much as we do it in our day. Now, pride and shame. I don't mean to brag, but I am able to do both of these sometimes within the same hour. Given the context, you would be amazed at how quickly I can turn on this. It's pretty amazing. Um, John gives us guidance and the command to know how we have come to know Jesus. What is the evidence of Jesus at work in you? To receive the grace of Jesus in the right way is to receive it like a homeless person receiving a nice, hot meal. I have no way of paying this back, and I know I have not earned it. All I can do is say thank you and enjoy. Um, I hate telling stories like this because I don't want to confuse the point. Um, but we were in, uh, my, my oldest son and I were in Chicago a few weeks ago, and we were up there touring a, a, for one of the schools that he's looking at. And we went to Giordano's, because it's where you go, right? Where the pizza is like a foot and a half thick. And... Uh, so we went there, and as we were, it was cold outside because it's Chicago, and <clears throat> um, and there was a homeless guy standing there, and, and he's and he had, I don't ever have cash on me. If any of you are ever planning on robbing me, you can save your time. Um, but uh, <clears throat> but he he asked he asked for something to eat, and I said I, I don't have any cash. 
And he's like, well, what about the restaurant right here? And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll buy you a meal. That's fine. I said, what do you want? And I, I think he wanted lasagna. I don't remember. And, and so I went in, and I, I, told the, the, I asked the hostess. I said, can, can you have him sit, and then I'll, should I just go to the takeout place? And they're like, yeah. And I said, can you make sure it gets out to him and make sure he's, he gets it? And they said, sure, that's fine. And so I went, and I ordered it. Um, and uh, we were sitting there, and uh, about a, a few minutes later, the waitress came up. And she said, uh, sir, the, the guy's outside. He wanted to thank you. And I was like, all right. So I went outside, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, I can't tell you how much this means to me. Uh, I will never forget this. God bless you. I mean, that was a gift. How many meals do I take for granted? The grace of God that I take for granted. And he stood in front of me and was like, I can't tell you how much a simple dinner means. And I felt immediate conviction. I can't, I'm not, this, we, we can't solve poverty with all of that. We'll, we'll get to this, but how he received that. And this is why, this is why this is included. People of God, this is why this is included. Because when we have stuff, when we have the world's goods, it is easy for us to not be grateful. It is easy for us to think somehow I have earned this. This is mine. It's not yours. And we forget. Can you imagine if God came up to us and said, this is mine. It's not yours. The kingdom of God is for the poor in spirit that we realize I have nothing before you and yet you've poured mercy and grace on me? Who am I? Who am I to ever presume that? And who am I to see the world in need and, and not give generously and joyfully? It was an absolute gift. And I will tell you that I hope and pray that one day I can be the waiter at this guy's table in the kingdom to come. John's message of assurance to these believers comes with the reminder. This is what it looks like to practice this over and over again, to receive grace, to remember to follow his commands, which are summed up in loving Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This wars against our shame It wars against the shoulds. Um, shame in receiving forgiveness will turn us into the unforgiven debtor. Grace in receiving forgiveness will turn us into generous, grace-giving, grace-filled people. Something that's been hitting me a lot lately is the pursuit of beauty and how that distinguishes the shoulds from the coulds. Shame fills us with, I am terrible, I suck, I need to be better, I'm no good. Could feels, fills us with, in Christ, this is what I could be. In Christ, this is what we could be as a people, and one day we will be, and so this is a worthy pursuit, a pursuit of a beautiful community, a pursuit of beautiful grace, not guilt-induced. Um, this also wars against pride. Pride is a nasty, nasty, nasty enemy. So is, so is shame. Um, and pride can use shame as well. Pride addresses poverty in a much different way. John's warning, warning of shutting our hearts against the poor is a warning for us. Uh, Scott Sauls, who's pastor in Nashville, he talked about preaching on Christ's call to love the poor, uh, and he received an email, uh, a scathing email response 
Uh, and I will tell you that he is not alone in that. I have gotten plenty of those uh, when it comes to uh, addressing the poor. Um, and uh, apparently when preaching on honoring the poor, what Scott Sauls failed to do was honor those who work and those who have made something of their lives and how the poor were all lazy and simply milking the system. And what they needed to do was pull themselves up, apply themselves, get an education, go find a job like the rest of us, and the world would be a much better place. Let me encourage you, if you feel a sense of anger rising up in you, I believe that's righteous anger, but be careful that it doesn't become unrighteous anger. Um, to address that, uh, let me just say a couple things. Uh, one, I know rich and middle class people that are very lazy. Um, they have a tendency to be able to afford their crimes, though. Uh, uh, to this end, uh, we also need to be aware that money does not solve problems. Uh, we have money to solve problems. It doesn't solve them. To quote Ryan Stevenson, who's the author of Just Cause, phenomenal book, great movie. You should see it. I mean, you could and should see it. Um, and he has this quote, my work with the poor and the incarcerated has persuaded me that the opposite of poverty is not wealth. The opposite, opposite of poverty is justice. A second thing, um, this does not take away the idea of personal responsibility. Personal responsibility is a factor for everyone. The poverty and trauma that often associates uh, with uh, trauma, the trauma that's often associated with poverty, it can be overbearing. Um, uh, the other thing that you will notice is that Jesus never gives caveats on when the poor deserve clothing and when they deserve a meal and when they or when we are to do that. He never gives caveats for that. Uh, that's important to know. Um, and no, uh, I do not believe that the government is the answer. I do believe, however, the government can be a tool. There are things that we can do as tools. I am not advocating and never will advocate for a party, uh, but I do happen to believe there are laws that can and should be changed, adjusted, or outright obliterated that put extra burdens on the poor. And if you want a closer look at that, take one day off work, unpaid, and go sit in a municipal court in Berkeley or in Ferguson uh, or somewhere else in North County and listen to stories and watch how municipal fines are given for everything. And if you're like, well, you just, you just obey the law. Let me ask you, when's the last time you got a ticket for jaywalking? Municipal uh, fines for everything to pay those, you have to show up in person, and if you don't pay them, the fine doubles, and if you can't pay them eventually, you're sent to jail, where you certainly can't work and pay off these fines. And it is a racket that needs to be changed. And just take a day off work and go sit and listen. Um, here again, yes, I believe in personal responsibility. But don't believe for a second that personal responsibility does not also belong to us who claim the name of Jesus uh, and see our brothers in need and refuse to advocate. Yes, sometimes that means hard love and it means correction, but I am learning more and more and more lately that I do not have the right to correct somebody that I do not love. because it comes a little different there. Um, here's the thing. Loving those in poverty, just like loving anybody, it has always been and always will be messy. It is convenient. It is inconvenient. It requires a lot in the way of sacrifice, time, money, and compassion. And it looks a whole lot like salvation. It's messy. Salvation and grace of Jesus takes place in this way. 
Those who offer him nothing, he offers grace and mercy. We do not deserve it. That wars against our pride. We can't repay it. That wars against our shame. But as it marinates in us, it reproduces in us love for the brothers, love for the poor, bearing the image of God to the outsider, the marginalized. And when our hearts condemn us, which I'm so thankful that John puts that in there because I wrestle with doubt all the time. When our hearts condemn us, God is there to say, yeah, this is not about you getting it perfect. I'm better, I'm, I'm better than your heart. Trust me on that. But then like when our hearts are confident, God's like, just ask. I got a pastor friend, I'm going off script again. Pastor friend Kevin, that uh, he's British and he's not filled with all the cynicism I am. And people ask him to come and pray for them when they're sick. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. And he walks right in with every confidence that God is going to work and move and, and, like, and heal. And I'm like, well, what, 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 what happens when he doesn't? He's like, well, I don't know. He doesn't. Well, you don't qualify that in your prayer? Oh, I love him. He challenges me so much in that. And I, I'm, I'm getting better. Um, uh, When we wrestle with doubt and shame and pride, God's love is still for us. I, so I'm going to quote from uh, Kayla's book, which I would secondly agree with. It is a very, very, very great, powerful book. Uh, Jay Stringer, who's the author, he talks about integrity. And a lot of times, I, I don't know if you heard this, I heard integrity is what you do at a stoplight at 2 o'clock in the morning. And I'm just like, oh, kids, stop at a stoplight at 2 o'clock in the morning. But we often associate integrity with behavior. What Jay Stringer does is he says, listen, you are going to, there's going to be days when you, it's great, and there's going to be days when you blow it. Losing integrity is not about never doing that behavior again. Losing integrity is when you stop caring about what matters. We don't, we're not going to get this all right. We're not going to solve poverty. We're not going to do that. We, when we close our hearts, that's when, it, that's when the enemy has worked. When we close our hearts to suffering, when we close our hearts to our neighbor, when we close our hearts, because we're also closing our heart to our need for God's grace and mercy and provision in our own lives. Um, I'm going to cover this next part very quickly. Chapter 4. Let's go back. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world Therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is a word for our day. Just because something has spiritual language in it doesn't mean it is from God. Okay? Just because somebody uses the word Jesus. Well, Paul says that whoever believes in Jesus has come in the flesh. Here's Paul, John. Whatever, it, whatever, what John is saying here is the measurement of truth has to measure up to what Christ, who he was and what he taught. We have to compare our Jesuses and then we compare what is being taught with what kingdom is this about? Is this about an earthly kingdom? Is this about my kingdom? Or is this about God's kingdom? Is it sacrificial? Is it self-giving? Does it bring honor to Jesus? We need to be discerning. And, and I'm not saying this. There's lots of different thoughts and different interpretations and applications and, and ways of doing this. And you can have a light show and do church and be about honoring Jesus. And you can put these things up and, and you know, that's, that's secondary. But what are we getting after in our heart? We, we have to really grow in our wisdom and our discernment. 
And I'm not going to, because there are so many of these things, I'm not going to hit on them too long, but social media and blogs and endless cable news shows that are actually cable entertainment shows successfully defended in court that you should not, any rational person should not see this as news for one cable news show, probably more. Um, politics, 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 they have messed us up in what to believe. Um, Michael Bird, uh, who I have really come to appreciate lately, he's from Australia. Uh, he's a theologian, he loves Jesus, he's Anglican, and he is able to walk into American culture and theology, and he's able to say, guys, this is weird. The way you have aligned your theology with political parties is really weird. And what you need to know is the rest of the world thinks it's weird too. And we're like, well, we're American. I know. So the chances of you hearing me are not great. But what you need to know is this is weird. And it's not good. We need to beware. John gives us the message straight. The person and work of Jesus is the litmus test for what is gospel and what is anti-gospel. And we need to grow in our humility and our discernment and, and culminating that in wisdom. Um, be careful of how much these outside influences appeal to our shame that some way, sometimes will make us wipe away all sin Right? Well, there's no, we don't need to talk about sin. We just need to talk about love. We just need to love one another. Be careful what appeals to our shame. And be careful what appeals to our pride. We, we're the ones who have it right. And they need to do this. They need to vote this way. They need to look this way and act this way. And then they'll be fine. They'll receive the grace of Jesus. Be careful of what appeals to those things. The New Testament church was characterized by five incredible virtues. This is what the early church was characterized by. And they do not fit into a political party. They were very pro-life for the first time in history. Uh, this, is, this is the Jewish people actually now working into the Gentiles. Uh, children were valuable and were not just seen as future laborers, but were seen as precious. That is a Christian virtue. They found orphanages. They saved babies. They made infanticide illegal. They were very pro-life to care for a class of people that had only been seen as future labor. They had a bizarre view of sex and marriage in that day. That sex was not just an appetite to be preyed upon whenever you felt the need, which, by the way, heavily favored the patriarchy. Um, and uh, they said men ought to be just as accountable in marriage as women. So everybody out there barking about Christianity being all patriarchy, yes, it's been abused. It has been abused. But the essential message of Jesus was, men, you need to be accountable. In a day when men were not always accountable. One woman, one man in marriage, regardless of sexual orientation, which was a thing in ancient times. This is the call for behavior and how, it's, how it is to be practiced in a covenant of marriage. That was bizarre in that day. Um, those have been typical uh, conservative values. They had a radical commitment to the poor, to the outsider, to the lame. Uh, the church cared for widows and orphans. Uh, they also called families of widows, especially, to take them in because the church was being overloaded. In fact, the church grew significantly because of its care for widows and orphans and the poor. Uh, this was highly unusual in a Gentile world. Uh, there's stories there, but we're already late enough. Um, and, uh, and they were radical in their commitment to the poor that required incredible sacrificial giving and living situations and all of those things. Um, and then uh, ethnic diversity. Uh, well, I'm going to call it ethnic diversity because race didn't exist until a couple hundred years ago when we needed ways to divide who was more valuable and who was not as valuable in our current uh, cultural climate. But... Uh, in this day, it was ethnicity. It was different nations, where you came from. And the church was incredibly diverse. Jews and Gentiles, not without their problems. Read Romans. They had issues. Uh, but the church was incredibly diverse. And the glorious news, what Jesus promises, one day it will be from every tribe and tongue.
They were incredibly diverse. Uh, They had Greek, slave, free, and even people who were labeled as barbarians were a part of the church. Cub fans. (laughs) I love you, Dylan. Sorry, man. I saw your look. Rams fans. Current day. It was incredibly diverse, which has traditionally been progressive values. And here's the kicker. They did this all with an absolute radical commitment to nonviolence, which neither political party knows that. A radical commitment to laying down their own life. This is beautiful. This is a beautiful pursuit of the people of God in our day. Um, So here's the practice for this week. Um, I want us to be good and discerning thinkers. Uh, I want us to be discerning, discerning. I want us to have wisdom. I want us not to be reactionary or overreactionary. We do not need to find the devil under every rock. Um, we need to let the grace and mercy of Jesus really impact us and grow in us. Uh, and so um, here's how I want us to war against our defensiveness, our fear, uh, all of those things, our shame, our pride. Um, this week, I want us to see and value people in the world around us that economically speaking would probably be lower on the scale, on the scale of importance. And I want us to see them and I want us to be grateful for them. I want us to practice gratitude. One thing that... um, one thing that's hit me hard during the last two years, especially during the pandemic early on, was uh, here again, people who would normally be considered lower on, on the scale of importance in our economic world were all of a sudden called essential. Right? So that meant they had to get up when the entire world was paranoid and they had to go to work and be there for us to yell at and scream at because our, politi- our politics differed from theirs. And they had to take a whole bunch of our junk. And maybe not you. I hope not you. All right? If I'm not going to. And so it really kind of opened my eyes to these people that often disappear from our view. So this week, if you go to the store, stop and say thank you to the clerks, to the people helping you out in the aisle. God bless them to the guys going out to get the grocery carts off the because they're way overworked, maybe pick up a few on your way in and bring them in for other people. But the guys that are out getting the carts in the sub-zero temperature with five-mile packs of snow on the, on the parking lots now, stop and tell them, hey, man, I really appreciate you doing this. Chances are good they're not doing it with a whole lot of pride and joy. It's, that's hard. Um, and, and, and they often get, you know, when you walk in and there's no carts, and you're like, ah, my convenience! I get it. Take time and tell them thank you when they're out, out in the snow and the cold. Tell the checkout lady. Tell the guy trying to refill the clerk because everybody else is yelling at him. If you, if you go to a restaurant and get food, tell the person that's helping on you who's not their fault that they're short-staffed. They're working. It's not their fault they're short-staffed. Everybody is. And when it takes an extra few minutes, tell them, hey, I appreciate you being here. Thanks for what you do. Just so you know, this is valuable to me. This one, if you have children, even if you don't, but if you have children that go to school, holy cow. Take a minute. Write a thank you note. Send an email. uh, Buy a gift card. um, Buy a drink for teachers who are getting the mess kicked out of them by angry parents projecting their own insecurities and their own junk onto people who are trying to help with their children, our children. It's not their fault. They're not making policies. 
And so take a minute and say, send an email. Hey, I appreciate the work you do. Here's $5. Here's $100 for Starbucks. I don't know. Here's $100 for Third Wheel Brewing Company. Here's, I mean, just show compassion and kindness and appreciation. And the reason I'm saying this is because this, this is not unpopular in our day. This was radical in Jesus' day. But in our day, take a minute and notice people that would normally slide past you. And let that remind you of the way we are called to receive the grace of God. We don't stand, Christ gave up his life. For me, I deserve nothing. I have earned nothing. And Christ poured his grace out on me. To receive that with joy and not shame and humility and not pride. And then turn and practice that for others. And let that just sit in you and marinate in you and work on you and mess with you that we would come and bear the image of Jesus to the world around us. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for loving <laughs> this, uh, a whole bunch of train wrecks. Um, we, and we don't need to add on. We don't need to think of ourselves lower than we ought, but we certainly don't need to think of ourselves higher than we ought. We ought to start thinking about ourselves as objects of your love and affection and grace and mercy. Give us eyes to see your kingdom at work both in us and through us. Give us wisdom and discernment to see which kingdom we are willing to give up our rights for, which kingdom we are willing to lay down our lives for, which kingdom we are willing to sacrificially love for. Give us assurance. I so appreciate John writing the New Testament believers, many of whom were deconstructing their faith 2,000 years ago, and he's writing to reassure them, Christ has come in the flesh. Your faith is not in vain. Be forgiven and bear his image. Thank you, Jesus, for your love, for this people, for this church, for the ways that you show grace and mercy to us. May we respond in awe and gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.